0: So, I want to talk this morning about themes related to the winter solstice, which is uh, one of my favorite times. And I want to talk specifically about the twin themes of embracing the dark and inviting the light. Embracing the dark and inviting the light. And it's really a way that we can look at our practice, which is particularly... Mm -hmm. brought out at the time of solstice, which is, is, of course, the time of uh, most darkness. And it's been a, uh, of course, in virtually all cultures, been a place of uh, festivals, typically festivals of light, uh, of recognizing that there can be, at the time of uh, greatest darkness and You know, in the Northern Hemisphere, in many uh, climates, most uh, stillness, nature seems to stop. Not in Northern California, necessarily, in the same way, but in some ways, yes. Uh, And it's been often a very, uh, as as many of us know, a central uh, time of celebration and uh, ceremony. It was such a strong time that I I believe what I've heard is that... uh, Jesus actually wasn't born on December 25th. He was born in April. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, the, the research suggests that. And yet he was the uh, they shifted the holiday to this time of greatest darkness and the coming of light. I don't know whether it was competitive with the pagans or or what, <laughs> or what, but. Uh, in any case, it's, it's, a, it's a very archetypal kind of holiday. Uh, literally, uh, solstice means the standing still sun. It's interesting. The sun is sort of standing still at that moment of transition from greatest darkness to light. And it's, uh, to me, it's a, um, a time of year which can really uh, let us look more deeply into these qualities or these um, aspects of our practice about going into the darkness and inviting the light. And so it's, um, to do that, we need to go a little bit against our culture, you know, which is we reflect sometimes at this time of year when nature is saying, be still and stop. We have frenzy. <laughs> frenzy of shopping and... Movement and I think there are moments of stillness that come, you know, maybe uh, as the result of shopping till one drops or <laughs> or whatever. That, that can be a kind of stillness. But it's interesting to reflect on how our culture deals with this, right? Uh, and, and then e- even even the uh, New Year's time is also, in some sense, it's kind of frenzy, isn't it? Going up to New Year's, but it also can be a time in which we have uh, time off from work and can be a time of going more into the stillness, into the uh, reflection, into the time of uh, seeing what comes next and being able to use the time to uh, see where we've been and see what might come next. And particularly the, the, the quality of darkness in this part of the world, I think, can really help with the the going into the stillness and going into the darkness. And for myself, probably 20 of the last 30 years, I've done a week or 10-day retreat that goes more or less uh, usually right after Christmas through the new year. And it's an amazing time to uh, have everything be quiet and, and reflect and go deeper and see what comes next, invite the light, go into the darkness and so forth. And I would uh, invite us, if we have the opportunity in the next few weeks, to really see if we can find a time for that stillness, for that uh, going deeper, uh, to maybe even set some boundaries to, to find some time. And at the end of the talk, I'm going to suggest a few practices for working with this theme of going into the darkness and inviting the light. So, it's a dark time in terms of nature, and in some ways, although we may not always uh, feel it so directly, it's also in many ways a dark time in terms of the world. That there's tremendous suffering, there have been increases in violence in many parts of the world, and we can also reflect on this theme of going to the darkness, not just personally, but also in terms of, of the world. Because I think what what is really, I think, learned in part by these um, explorations of darkness and light is that with our practice, we learn better both to go into the dark and to invite the light. We also learn that in some ways, when we go deeply into the darkness, just like nature, the light um, comes that there's a light within the darkness, you know, meaning darkness in, in many, many ways. Darkness as uh, both the absence of physical light, but also the sense of darkness as the unknown, or even the difficult, or even the challenging, even times of suffering. That uh, light can come out of the darkness. And it may be that to really be with the light... We need to have gone into the darkness. That if we don't go, if we don't know how to be with the dark in that sense of particularly the unknown, the mysterious, the difficult, then we really don't find the light. That it's a kind of a false light if we actually are afraid of the dark. And so in our practice, we have to learn how to be with the dark. It's also the case that when we. when we go into the dark with the tools of our practice, that is, with mindfulness and with wisdom, there's actually light there. And so there's no really uh, complete darkness, that, that they're that there the qualities of light when we bring awareness to what's uh, mysterious or unknown or, or difficult. So I want to talk... Uh, some further about this theme of embracing the dark, and then talk some about inviting the, the light. I was, I was reflecting on, again, on this theme of embracing the dark or going to the dark in terms of uh, really four qualities. The first is that of um, some kind of stillness or stopping, uh, as with nature being apparently dead. The second has to do with the unknown or the mysterious. The third has to do with the difficult. And the fourth has to do with the way that the darkness is fertile. That going into the darkness, something comes out of it, particularly light. And this is, I think, something that we do, again, we do it individually. We could take our meditation practice or our practice of uh, Um, certainly sitting, but also really any kind of mindfulness, particularly when we sit. I mean, it has uh, some of these qualities. We sit, we stop, we go into stillness. Most of us close our eyes. There's darkness. We sit in darkness together. This is, you know, someone from another culture might come in, or probably, actually a lot of people from this culture would come into into this uh, hall, and they'd look around, and, and... you know what they might say. <laughs> they might say, you know, these people are sitting with their eyes closed all together in chairs. What is going on? But, but it's actually uh, this inviting of the darkness at the stillness, the stopping, as a way to, to learn something, as a way to invite what wants to come to the surface, to be present. Because there's something that's very, I think, very much like nature. When we have this quality of um, stopping we, in a way, uh, don't take in any more um, stimulation. And we, set, we let what wants to um, evolve just come out of our being. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful quality to, to um, be with this quality of stopping and to just see what's there, to just see, in many cases, what's, what's there is our conditioning. And we, when we sit and we, when we come to stillness and stop, in a way, we stop uh, bringing in any more conditioning. We say, let me just look at what's there, and what's there often is a lifetime of conditioning, certain habits of the mind or heart, and we notice them, and we need to, we need to stop in a way, to um, stop the momentum of our minds, the momentum of our conditioning. So part of this going into the darkness is this stopping. That permits us to see. So it's again, there's I love there's a lot of play with the dark and the light. We stop, we go into the dark in order to see. Isn't that interesting? And there's a lot of there's a lot of that quality of play. Uh, and it's you know I was thinking also that there are ways historically often that um, it takes that darkness in order to be able to see. I know in ancient Greece many of the great wise people were actually blind. They, you know, Some of you remember uh, the figure of Tiresias from some of the uh, ancient Greek plays, the blind person who could see more than anyone else could see. And I was thinking also of my father, Simon, who was blind the last 25 years of his life, in many ways, he saw certain things more when he was blind than when he could see. You know, and there, there are ways that we, we know that sometimes, that when, we get, when we're constantly in the rush of stimuli, of getting this information or that, there's, there's a way that we don't see clearly. Things get obscured because of the the rush, and so the stillness and stopping is really vital. There's a beautiful uh, story, powerful story, that some of you know, which is the story that the, the Buddha tells of the, uh, basically of the redeemed murderer, Angulimala. How many people know the story of Angulimala? Uh, Angulimala was what we now would call a serial killer. <laughs> And what's interesting is that he actually, in the context of the Buddha, he wasn't executed, but he actually entered into practice, worked through a lot of stuff, <laughs> a lot of stuff, and he became um, awakened. And he had to deal with his past karma of people like trying to hurt him, even when he was fully enlightened. But it's a really interesting story because he um, it was really seen that he had some deep qualities that could, that could transform the horrors that he had committed, which is, I think, a, um, it's a way of seeing that maybe is very different from our culture, at least our culture at the present time. I think historically there's often been a sense that people who commit crimes can be transformed. That's why we have names for our prisons like penitentiary or reformatory because they point to the possibility of transformation. Nowadays, we're totally into punishment. You know, and, but we, I think the cycle will, will shift. It has to because to really see that it's really a sense of human nature. That I think the sense that we have in this practice is that they're, that they're deeper than the suffering and deeper than the crimes is something sacred. And something very, um, is this quality, we might say, of light. Beneath the, that the light, in a way, is beneath the darkness. Even for a serial killer like Anguli Mala, his name actually means, Mala means, you know, like a bra- the bracelet, and Anguli is fingers, because he took the fingers of his victim and made them into a necklace that he used to wear. And he, he, his assignment was to kill his 500th per- person, and he chose the Buddha. In a sense, bad choice. <laughs> you know, and there, there's this, in the story, he was trying to set up this way of um, um, coming to kill the Buddha, and he was running after the Buddha as fast as he could, and the Buddha didn't seem to be moving at all. And Angulimala said, Stop! You know, because he was running fast and the Buddha seemed to be still, but he wasn't gaining on him. It was you know, some kind of advanced meditative ability. <laughs> so so this, is what, um, this is what Angulimala said, and this is what the Buddha said, and it's really about this quality of stopping. He said, While you are walking, recluse, that's the Buddha, you tell me you have stopped, but now when I have stopped, you say I have not stopped. I ask you now about the meaning. How it is it that you have stopped and I have not?" And the Buddha says, "And Gulimala, I have stopped forever. I, have abs- I abstain from violence towards living beings, but you have no restraint towards things that live. That is why I have stopped and you have not." So there's a, this deeper meaning of the stopping, or the stillness, is the stopping of the, we would say, the greed and the hatred and the delusion. And there's this um, power to, to the, the physical stopping or the coming into a lack of movement, which is really to be able to listen, to be able to listen, to see. And this, this is why for many of us uh, the sitting is important or the, 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 the stopping is important or the retreats or whatever we do that sort of stops the usual habits from being quite so powerful. And this is part of going into the darkness, that we need sometimes to stop, just like nature does, and go deeper and see what's deeper. A second sense of going into the darkness is to go into the unknown or the mysterious, that I think part of what we do when we sit is that we can invite, oh, what wants to happen? What wants to come out? And so that's why it's very important in our practice Sometimes we are in our practice, we say, well, I'll sit and I'll get to that relaxed state where I was yesterday. Does anyone ever do this? (laughs) Or I'll get to this state of peace or mind or concentration. And there's something helpful there, but it actually can be deeper just to say, I don't know what's going to happen. I will sit here and see what I see. And so it's important in our practice to watch that tendency to... To subtly or not so subtly manipulate things so we get somewhere we want to get in our meditation. And it's an important uh, lesson because, in a deep way, we're opening to, we're really trusting in our organism and we're opening to the unknown. We're opening to something deeper. It's that quality that Suzuki Roshi calls beginner's mind. You know, that's why sometimes when we're beginning meditation, we can be very fresh, and after we've done it for five or ten years, we sit there. And we say, okay, I'm going, into, um, I'm going into a meditative state number 32 right now. Okay, let's, let's go there. <laughs> and so, so it's, again, the time of darkness. The invitation to go freshly, to open to the unknown, to let go of the known. Powerful aspect of going into the darkness. Again, that we practice uh, when, when we bring mindfulness. When we just say, let me see what's there. Let me explore Let me me know what's there. The Buddha said this, Do not pursue the past. Do not lose yourself in the future. The past no longer is. The future has not yet come. Looking deeply at life as it is in the very here and now, the practitioner dwells in stability and freedom. So it's a quality of opening to what's there without too many preconceived ideas. That's really sort of the glory, and what it permits is it permits uh, something new to come about. That going into the darkness—that's part of what we'll get to. It's part of the fertile quality. Going in without preconceptions permits something new to develop. It can be very, uh, very wonderful. We let go in a way of our—we um, let go of our sense of knowing at times, and we go into the unknown. We embrace the unknown. Some of you know Krishnamurti, the famous teacher, wrote a whole book called Freedom from the Known. He said the essence of meditation is to find freedom from the known. Of course, he's being a little bit provocative there. But there's a sense of, can we drop what's uh, our usual habits, our usual sense of things, and just go into kind of an uh, an open awareness, which can be ready for anything. There's, a, there's another sense of going into the darkness, which is that we, we, we learn to go into difficulties. We, we learn to be with what's challenging. And this is, one of, to me, one of the uh, amazing powers of our practice, that we learn to be with the difficult in a different, different way. That whether it's the personal difficulties or going into the difficulties or darkness of of violence in the world, we learn to be with that in a way which, which uh, doesn't just try to get rid of the difficult. That we learn that we can be with the difficult, whether it's a knee pain, an emotional pain, or our pain at the world, We that there's actually something when we go into that and don't give in to the habits or the fear or the reactivity, that something very powerful comes of that. And a significant part of our practice is learning how to be with what's difficult. Learning Again, learning how to be with difficult personal experiences or um, difficult physical experiences, that that as long as we are trying to run away from the difficult, it's actually hard to to go too far in our practice. And so I think we know, and this is... um, The Buddha certainly emphasize this in the teaching saying the first noble truth is the truth of suffering you know get used to it guys <laughs> and and that we have to learn how to do that we, we and so we learn in our practice we learn that we can be with what's difficult in a different way you know we can we can be with difficult people or people who are difficult for us without simply reacting to them and assuming that they're bad, but actually seeing, is there something I can learn from this process? So in our practice, we go into the darkness in that sense. We go into the challenging, the difficult, and we learn how to be in a different way. And out of that, we, we actually come to see that there's something fertile. This is really the fourth quality of the darkness, that there's some kind of uh, uh, fruit or something beautiful that comes out of being with the darkness, uh, that we can, much like in nature, we can be with the darkness, and the darkness ultimately is generative. You know, there's a it's a beautiful poem from uh, Rilke uh, in the in Rilke's book of hours, and he says it this way: "You darkness, of whom I am born, I love you more than the flame that limits the world." To the circle it illumines and excludes all the rest. But the dark embraces everything, shapes and shadows, creatures and me, people, nations, just as they are. It lets me imagine a great presence stirring beside me. I believe in the night. So There's that, there's that uh, exploration of seeing how the darkness can, can lead to light. Uh, there's another uh, amazing poem that Comes from the um, Swampy Cree of uh, Minnesota and southern Canada. Let's see. They they say it this way: All the warm nights sleep in moonlight. So again, there's a play between dark and light. Go into the darkness, and you'll find light there. All the warm nights sleep in moonlight. Keep letting it go into you. Keep letting the dark, the darkness, and then the light within the dark go into you. Do this all your life. And do this, and you will shine outward in old age. The moon will think that you are the moon. And so this is this is, um, this is hard, but this is something that we can explore, that can we, can we learn that the darkness can be fertile? Can we learn that we can be in the unknown or the difficult, and that something really beautiful can come out of this? Uh, there's this amazing story that Rachel Naomi Remen tells that, I've, that I, um, have, I think I've told here before of this amazing story of how in working with a young man who was in his 20s who lost his leg to, uh, to cancer and she had him do a drawing at the beginning of her work with him. This is, this is from the book called Kitchen Table Wisdom some of you, that some of you may know. And she worked with him, and she asked him to do a drawing. And when he first did a drawing at the per- period of the work, it showed like a sketch of his body. And it was, there was like a, um, it seemed as if it was cracked. There was a line, a jagged line going through the body, and everything was colored very dark. It was a sense of tremendous darkness and some kind of flaw, some kind of wound that was there and that was right at the beginning of her time working with him and over the months working with him he had tremendous anger he expressed he was he had been an athlete he was 20 years old in his 20s he lost his leg and as he continued to work with her something seemed to shift as he went into the anger went into the darkness in a certain sense something seemed to change and he started to be interested in helping other people who were in difficult circumstances. As he went into his own darkness, his own difficulty, something seemed to emerge, which we could call compassion. And he started working with people. He started working with one young woman, whom he eventually married, who who had lost her breast. And he was able to interact with her and know what what her loss was about, and help her with her own transformation out of darkness. And at the end of his time working with uh, Rachel Naomi Remen, she asked him to look at the original drawing. And he looked at it, and there's this figure with you know, a lot of dark colors and this kind of crack going through the middle of the body, this long, jagged crack. And he looked at that and he said, I need to change that a little bit and he started drawing these lines coming out from the crack and he said you know out of the wounds light comes out of the darkness light springs forth that there's when we look in a certain way let me see how I want to read his actual words because they're very beautiful Yes, this is. He looked at the drawing and said, You know, it's not really finished. Surprised, I extended my basket of crayons towards him. Taking a yellow crayon, he began to draw lines radiating from the crack to the very edges of the paper. Thick yellow lines, I watched, puzzled. He was smiling. Finally, he put his finger on the crack, looked at me, and softly said, This is where the light comes through out of the crack, out of the darkness. That's that's a hard teaching, isn't it? But it requires that we be able to go into the darkness. If we don't go into the darkness like he did, the light doesn't come through in the same way. And it's something that I think many of us probably know from having gone into our own difficult times or our times of not knowing or our times of um, confusion. And there's a way that when we stay with those sometimes they can be incredibly generative. And I know from my own experience, there was a time in which, uh, about seven or eight years ago, when I deliberately ended all the structures. I was feeling I was too busy, and I really actually stopped everything. There's the, actually, all the senses of darkness were present. You know, I was I was getting too busy, and I needed to... I sensed there was something deeper that wanted to come out, but I didn't know exactly what it was or how it would form. And it seemed... I was able to. Not everyone can do this, so it was, it was a blessing. But I was able to more or less uh, not work much for a year. You know, I wangled it in certain ways, and was able. <laughs> that's another story. Uh, if You want the details? We can talk later. <laughs> but I was able to not work for most of the time. I ended my participation in a lot of activities. I was on the board of the Buddhist Peace Fellowship. Got off that. I was the lead editor for a journal. I stopped that. I stopped as much as I could and eliminated a lot of the structures in my life. And it was sometimes scary. You know, it's like, okay, not much structure. But I knew that it needed to, I needed to do that in a way to give space for something new to come. And it was really hanging out with the unknown. And I did a lot of retreats also. I probably, for that year, I was probably about four months on retreats. Again, which was, uh, in a way, going into the darkness. And there was a kind of trust that I had that something would emerge. And it seems like, like in that course of that time, it did move, but it was a, it was a, it was a going into, the, it was stopping, going into the darkness of the unknown. Sometimes there were difficulties, certainly present. And going further into them, something got generated out of that. And it was, I think we do that in small ways and sometimes in large ways. And a lot of the study of the lives of a lot of uh, people who've had an impact on the world, you can find something like that in their lives. You know, look at the life of Thich Nhat Hanh. He had a time when, for five years, when he stopped all his activities in the late 1970s, no one knew much about him. He just was more or less just gardening and hanging out and on retreat, not much teaching for five years. And out of that have come the last 25 years of his life. You know, this amazing activity. Or some of you know Carl Jung had a very similar experience where he, for about four years, after he broke with Freud, he just went into this unknown period. And he said, I don't know what's happening. And he just he did minimal work to, kind of, to keep his livelihood together. And he had this... Um, He had this period of mysterious change happen. He he said this. I actually have a passage from his autobiography. He said, After the parting of the ways with Freud, a period of inner uncertainty began for me. It would be no exaggeration to call it a state of disorientation. I felt totally suspended in midair, for I had not yet found my own footing. Above all, I felt I found it necessary to develop a new attitude towards my patients. I avoided all theoretical points of view and simply worked with the people themselves, helping them to understand without any rules or theories. I lived as if under constant inner pressure, but this led to nothing but fresh acknowledgement of my own ignorance. Therefore I said to myself, since I know nothing at all, I shall simply do whatever occurs to me. (laughs) Thus I, and this is his conclusion, thus I consciously submitted myself to the impulses of the unconscious. So there's that sense that um, going into the darkness potentially opens us up to the light. And I want to explore this briefly in, in, in a few ways. One of them has to do with the way that this, there's this balance in our lives and in our practice between going into their difficulties and going to the light. And the second is this quality of something new coming out of the darkness. And and a third would be that the certain, some of the qualities of light, the qualities of beauty, of light, of our maturity, get evoked in the darkness. So the the first one that I was thinking of was this sense, which makes a lot of sense of my own practice and maybe of yours, is that there are kind of two broad aspects of the whole transformative process. One of them is this going into the darkness, and the other is going into our beauty and our light and these amazing qualities that come out. And both are necessary. And one way of even looking at our daily practice is asking, how much am I going into my difficulties all the time? And how much am I I going into what's beautiful or helpful or the qualities of peace or understanding or wisdom? Because we can ask that question as a way of reflecting, because for some of us, we may be really preoccupied with our difficulties. We might might not be allowing enough of our vision, our light, our beauty, our peace to emerge. And if that's the case, sometimes it can be really helpful to, to give some emphasis to the vision, to the beauty, to the, to the peace, to the understanding, to the wisdom. So I know um, some people I work with, you know, and I, I think many of you know, I do a lot of work around the theme of judgment, of working with judgment. People who are particularly self-judgmental or judgmental towards others, actually, it, it's connected. <laughs> <laughs> I think many of us know that. <laughs> and so what I find with people, people who work with that field of judgments and really try to explore, what is this about, this this continual quality of judging myself and or judging others? And when we explore that, there can be a lot of illumination, a lot of seeing, but sometimes going into it a lot gets kind of heavy. In fact, I find it actually really important in, in doing that kind of work. Also to find the, the vision or the beauty or the, the sense of joy or the sense of happiness that can also be, be touched, that, that it seems to be a necessary balance to have both happening in some way. As we go into the heavy stuff, it's really important to go into also the light stuff, we might say, or the, the beautiful things. So, so I, I remember thinking right after 9-11, it's really important for people to really be in touch with beauty I know Michael Mead, who's a storyteller and a mythologist, he says, the best antidote to fear is beauty. Not what we would usually think, right? Mm -hmm. The best antidote to fear is beauty. And it really points to the way that we, we, uh, in our practice, it's important to hold both. And we can ask ourselves, am I too much in one area or the other? Because we can go in the other area as well, and we can be just focusing on the wonderful things, the beauty. And it might sometimes mean... That, we're not, that there's something that we need to look at that's maybe a little more difficult or challenging, and we need to go there at times, you know, that we need to let it be there or give some attention to there. So it's, a, it's in a way that um, sometimes we can be too much emphasizing the light, and in a way there are actually a lot of shadows in our light, but we don't see them, if you know what I mean. And so sometimes it's important to look at the shadows. But for me, this is a helpful way to look at our practice that we that we and personally in my life I've, I think my retreats or my practice has has often uh, you know gone from one end to the other sometimes it 's more a period of dealing with challenges and difficulties, and sometimes it 's a period of really evoking uh, more positive qualities the mindfulness, the wisdom or the the joy or the happiness or the Lightness, or whatever, and so it can be. We can ask ourselves, you know. You can ask yourself right now, after you know, hearing this, where do I feel I need to go a little more (laughs) light? (laughs) Everyone, but some maybe for some it may be the other. It may may be to say, okay, I really need to have the support and courage to go into some of these challenges. Now's the time, and we can look at that. And as we as we work with the darkness in that way, we also can have this experience of having the darkness lead something, lead to something fertile, or lead to the new, or lead to something uh, very beautiful and positive come out of the darkness. As I was mentioning earlier, that the to me the one of the glories of this practice is that we're always beginning again and asking something fresh to come, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done the invitation in our practice is always to be fresh, is always to start again. You know, we can have had a difficult day, and when we sit, the invitation is, let me just sit here and not be preoccupied by the past, but be fresh to the present. And it's actually, I would say, one of the mercies of this practice. No matter what's happened, we can have fresh beginnings, which is really, I would say, that's a quality of letting go of the darkness or letting go of the heaviness. And just being present doesn't mean repressing it, but we can just say, okay, let me see what's here, let me see what's present, that we can really, uh, really can wake up to really the beautiful qualities and, and let them be there. And sometimes it's really important to, in our practice, actually invite the beautiful qualities to be there. And in... One of the ways that in the Buddhist tradition this is, this is understood is in terms of the qualities of loving-kindness, we might say of love and compassion and joy and equanimity, that we can do practices which actually evoke those states. And we can hang out there. These are the, said to be the states of the gods and goddesses. And this is when you read the text. A lot of the people who have been practicing a lot, they just kind of seem like they, they talk about, oh, I will go with my days abiding into... Joy and happiness, and then they just kind of hang out there until they get invited somewhere for dinner <laughs> it 's fun to read the text it 's actually like that they just you know they're just they 're just in their days abiding and then someone someone says, "Will you come and teach us and come to dinner or something <laughs> or or maybe it 's usually the midday meal because they usually didn't they didn't the dinner in the sense of midday meal and it's it 's a sense that when we have given energy to the darkness, the light, the light comes out as well. You know, this, this, um, there's, a, there's a poem that uh, sort of shows the interplay of that the, from Bertolt Brecht. He's, he, he has a poem which he wrote, I think, right, at the, right in the middle of the Second World War, which is, you know, a very, very dark time in that sense. And he, asked, he, he wrote this three-line poem, In the Dark Times... Will there also be singing? Yes, there will be singing about the dark times. <laughs> so it's, that, it's that, that interplay. Another poem by Mark Strand, he, called The Coming of Light. He says, even this late it happens, the coming of love, the coming of light. You wake and the candles are lit as by themselves. Stars gather, dreams pour into your pillows sending up warm bouquets of air. Even this late, the bones of the body shine and tomorrow's dust flares into breath. That there's some natural process that as we go deeper, something comes out that, that has qualities of light. of It's really this strengthening of the qualities that we're emphasizing, of mindfulness, of loving kindness, of of wisdom and so forth. And so... I'll just close with two things. One is to say that if we're, um, if we're interested in exploring this quality of darkness and light, there are a few small practices that we can do. We can really make an emphasis in the coming weeks to have a period in which we stop, in which we create some boundaries so that we can stop, we can be silent, we can look within, we can see what's there. and In a way, in a way we go into the darkness... We take uh, you know, a period every day, or we take a few days, and we say, let me go into the darkness now and see what's there. Let me go in without any expectations, and we might find a uh, period where we hang out. Let me hang out with some quality of my not knowing, and let me just be with it for a sustained time. I don't know what's next in my life. Let me just be present to that. Let me have this open space in which I'm, I'm there with the not knowing. Or we might be challenged to say let me be with this difficulty or this challenge as a continuation of my practice as a kind of going into the darkness and asking let me be with it and see what comes. We can also (coughs) deliberately invite the light. We We can say let me focus on Doing what cultivates joy. We might work, maybe we do that practice with music, often evokes that quality of joy. Maybe we, maybe we deliberately work with that which brings about joy in our lives and say, I'm going to deliberately go into this territory more in this coming time to evoke that quality, to del- deliberately do that, but to do it with coming from our wisdom. But mostly it's to say this is a, a very special time and can we, can we invite this time to be this time of going into the dark and inviting the light to be more and more present and, t- and take that as a way to be with the next few weeks. I think I'll end with uh, one of my favorite poems which is about the dark and light and it's by uh, Pablo Neruda. If each day falls inside each night There exists a well where clarity is imprisoned. There exists a well where clarity is imprisoned. We need to sit on the rim of the well of darkness and fish for fallen light with patience. If each day falls inside each night, there exists a well where clarity is imprisoned. We need to sit on the rim of the well of darkness and fish for fallen light with patience. So this is our practice, fishing on the well of darkness. (laughs) Thank you.